friends, and welcome to another episode of Fully Booked. I'm Megan. And I'm Shereen. And today we are flipping the classics on their heads a little bit and talking about our least favorites of this whole sort of subgenre, whatever you like to call <laughs> it, of classics. So we're just going to talk about movies that, uh, movies, books that we don't love, you right. know, like some that, you know, pop up in a lot of lists of classics are considered classics. And I guess, you know, to each their own, they're allowed to be, but just ones that we don't, we don't love. We don't really feel deserve all of the attention or the hype that they get. Totally. Um, and just, uh, an opportunity for us to gripe about them a little bit. Or that they don't belong on university book lists. Yeah, yeah, because there are definitely some that pop up on, you know, almost every single one. Some of them, you know, I guess I guess it depends sort of what each of us are talking about. But, you know, some of them we've got on the list because we simply don't enjoy them at all. We think they're overhyped. Some mm. of them, the subject matter, I think should disqualify them potentially Oops. from being considered classics. So yeah. we got a, you know, we got a few different things going on, but we're going to get into it in just a couple of minutes. Obviously, we're still... In the middle of Classics Month, really coming to the end of it right now, over at fullybooked.ca. You guys can head over there if you ever want to check out any of our content, if you want to figure out, you know, what we're talking about, maybe what you could be reading, what you want to be reading, check us out over there. Um, and before we get started, though, let's just have a quick chit-chat. Uh, Shireen, what's on your nightstand? What are you reading right now? Well, um... I had been reading um, The House of Earth and Blood by Sarah Moss, right. which I mentioned last time, mm -hmm. but I had to put it aside so that I could take one for the team and read some absolute trash called Gabriel's Inferno. You fucking love reading it. I, I do love, reading love it. I love trash. I can't help it. It's who I am. Um, we are actually going to be releasing a bonus episode on our podcast about the garbage that is Gabriel's Inferno yeah. that I cannot put down. We're going to be, we're going to be starting it off. If you guys want to check that out, I'm hoping we're going to have things ready to go very shortly. I'll put up an announcement on our social media and I'll probably plug it again once it is. Um, it's going to be over on coffee. It's ko.fi dot com dash fi sorry dot com slash fully booked so you guys can check that out if ever you're interested in supporting us it really helps us out a lot with the show mm -hmm. so hopefully we'll be able to uh, get that out to you guys soon and just get this ridiculous party started about these terrible terrible films you know? absolutely <laughs> so if you want to know more about gabriel's inferno please check it out otherwise megan what's on your nightstand uh, well, I have just recently finished the last book I was reading and I've just picked up actually, um, uh, an ARC that I got through NetGalley that had just popped up through my emails. So I was lucky enough to get that of a book that's being, actually, I think it's official publish, publishing date is in a couple of weeks, like May 3rd. So in a week, basically is when it's coming out, mm. um, called what we both know it's a new novel by an author named fawn parker i've never read any of her stuff before um but basically it seems to be a drama about um a young woman who is helping her father because he is a very highly celebrated author and a public figure um he's right now i don't know if he's got like dementia or something but he's losing his memory and his ability to be able to function properly she's sort of functioning as his caretaker, taking care of him and everything. And 
when going through his effects and his things, she comes across um, information about him and secrets about him that she was not expecting to discover at all. And she has to come to terms with that um, because I believe it's quite dark and figure out whether this is something she wants to be made public or if it's a secret that she'd like to keep. Cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm I'm interested. I'm really curious to see like what they're going to do with it. So awesome. Yeah. But, um, yeah, let's not delay this any further. Let's, let's, uh, shit on some classics <laughs> or some books that are considered classics and, uh, let's get started. Awesome. Okay. Least favorite classics, classics that we do not like. Hooray. Mm-hmm. Do you want to start? <laughs> sure. Um, so when we decided on this topic, the first one that came to mind without hesitation was A Sentimental Journey Through France and Italy. Um, this I mean, is a, just the title anyway. <laughs> this is a novel by Lawrence Stern, um, and it was published in 1768. So some of our readers here might be like, what is this novel? Or they might be like, oh yeah, I heard about that. And maybe it should be on my to-read list. Remove it from that list. (laughs) Um, I had the displeasure of reading this novel and I actually powered through. I'll I'll say that a lot of the time with classics, if I didn't like them, I would um, just not read them. Yeah. But this one was such a non-story that I think I, I kept reading with the hope that something was going to happen oh because I felt like, you know, if a person made the effort to write this and if it actually got published, then there should be something remarkable about it. No. There was nothing remarkable. Um, the main character was... So basically, Stern wrote this story um, at the end of his life. And the main character is this reverend um, who's a complete and utter dingus. <laughs> um, <laughs> technical term. Technical term. Um He basically gets taken for a ride everywhere that he goes, um, and he's just traveling from France to, sorry, from England to France to Italy, and, um, you know, the term sentimental is a real standout here because all he does is just talk very fluffily the whole way. about his feelings and about the things that he's seeing. And I can understand that, I suppose, if you're a reader in 1768 who's never actually left England, you're kind of like, oh, this is like a travel guide. Yeah. (laughs) Or this is a journey that I'm getting to, you know, see France and Italy. But it's so boring and so long-winded that the whole time you're like, I really wish that, like, something would happen. Anything. Anything. And, you know, he gets... He gets, I don't know, ripped off by a few people. Um, He makes note every time he's (laughs) close to a woman, he has to talk about how pretty she is or not pretty she is. Um, It's just, just awful. (laughs) Like, just don't read it. It sounds Um, terrible. It sounds just like horribly, horribly fluffy sentimentality that's just unnecessary to write an entire novel about. Exactly. Fun fact, I have not read it and I will not be. Don't bother. Yeah, that's really all I can say is it's the most nothing story that I've ever read that's filled with like a man weeping about everything that he's seeing or just getting like really like sappy about everything to the point where you're just like, God damn it, man. And it makes sense that he gets ripped off a lot or taken for a ride because of, like, who he is. (laughs) Um, So 
So that's that's my first um, would never read again novel. Yeah, it sounds like a fair. That sounds like a fair choice. <laughs> oh boy! All right, I'm coming at you with something. All right, more modern, I guess, but still considered a classic. I'm, co- I'm coming at you with Lord of the Flies by William Golding. Oh boy! Written it, published in I believe 1954. So shockingly set post like during World War II because obviously. Um, if no one's aware of it, follows the story of um, a ship uh, that's, I believe, evacuating from Britain that crash lands um, in this really sort of isolated area near the Pacific Ocean. Um, and the only survivors are a group of young school children. They're all like prepubescent, so like 11 to 13, basically. And they spend the next, I'm not, I cannot remember how long it is, um, surviving in the wilderness and they form their own form of like government Mm. and things. And just, so there's a lot to be said for it. I can understand in the sense of the social commentary regarding hierarchy and um, politics and how, you know, even in a situation like this, something like something like a government of sorts can be established. Uh, but the characters are just, oh, God, there's just there's no one to like. The only slightly likable character is this this poor the bullied kid is mm-hmm. the only nice kid. They call him Piggy. Mm-hmm. He's got glasses. I don't remember much else about him except that I felt bad for him throughout the entire course of the book but it's also just what they start doing becomes like very like very aggressive and I know that I guess it would be possible in these situations for something like that to happen but they just the whole the whole journey that they go on the arguments that they have I just found myself tuning them out most of the time because they just seemed completely irrelevant to what was going on Mm. um you know these people are stranded these kids are stranded in the middle of nowhere also like they don't die, but mm. whatever, mm. whatever, whatever, whatever. Okay, because mm. they're they're out there for quite a while, right? Um, and you know, you get to the point where the only likable character who tries to reestablish proper order and you know stop all of these sort of like horribly negative things that are happening is murdered by the least likable character in the Ugh. fucking book, and Isn't you're just, just it's just so typical. disappointing. And then and then least likable character is one of the kids that's like rescued at the end of it because hunters find them in the woods, and you're just like really fucking really <laughs> like I just read this entire whatever two hundred and some odd page book to get to this point, and this is. That's it. And then, you know, there's, like, maybe something to be said about a little bit of commentary, um, you know, regarding, I guess, what people will do in desperate situations. Mm. But it, it almost feels, almost feels like it glamorizes the idea that, like, if you're cutthroat, you yeah. will get farther. Like survival of the fittest yeah, kind of. Yeah, like that sort of, mm. that idealistic sort of, like, yeah, like, you know, like, if you're tough and stuff like that, you'll make it through and everything. It's just, it's it's very old world. It's just not something and I just found myself hating. I do remember I think I read it in, like, the 10th grade mm. and I found and there was an essay that was required for it and I may have been because everybody probably thought it was boring as shit, but they just wrote, like, <laughs> oh, yeah, it's really good because of this. Mm. Um, I think I was one of the only people in the class who wrote that I did not like it mm. and had, like, <laughs> like a thousand word essay yeah. about all of the reasons that I disliked the story, the characters, the themes, just everything. It's a personal thing also. It just wasn't for me. Yeah. To be fair, most things that are war set are like not my jam just because yeah. they're not. It's like a personal preference, fair. I guess. But um, 
yeah, God, I just, I don't understand, I guess, why it gets the hype it does. Ironically, as well, I don't, <laughs> I hate this book, but I just watched the entire first season of Yellow Jackets. Right. Which is basically like a more modernized version of lord of the flies with female-led characters if nobody knows what it is it's about a group in the late late 90s it's a group of um girls who are part of a high school soccer team that are really really good and they're flying to like a state championship from new jersey i think over to like washington or something and they crash um up in the wilderness, like I think like really northern Alberta, mm. like up, up, up there. Oh, yeah, they're in Canada, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Yeah. And they get stuck there for over a year. Right. Um, and just, but it, it was so good and stupid that I hate this book, but I really <laughs> liked that show. I think it's because there's also, to me, it felt like there was more to it. You jump from present day, what they're experiencing now, to what they experienced then. Things tie together more. There's like mm. more of a supernatural element to it, which is probably why I like it better. <laughs> but just, it's really funny to hear me say like shit on this book, but really like that TV show. But I do. And that is my contradictory opinion, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> All right. Well, here's mine. Um <laughs> 1984 is the next one that I'm going to go for. And <laughs> um, so haters can hate on this. Um, and actually, I suppose the reason why I don't like it or some of the reasons that I don't like it is the reason why it's so beloved by many. Um, so 1984, a dystopian novel. Oh, yeah. Written one by of the original dystopian it's novels. It's like the OG dystopian kind of. novel. Um, and it was written by George Orwell. Uh, he wrote it in 1948, so 1984, 1948. That's that's what happened there. Um, and he wrote it as a commentary, kind of after World War II. He was predicting what would happen in the future by the 80s because of kind of what they had just gone through. In and he's British, so in in England, he was predicting that this was how our future was going to be. Yeah. Um, I suppose in some ways he wasn't wrong. I mean, there's CCTV um, everywhere in England. Yeah, uh, they it it kind of took a bit longer than 1940 uh, than 1984 to get to the point, but I suppose because I was forced to read so many dystopian novels after this one that it just yeah. made me very bitter about the whole genre, and. Um, I understand why we explore these topics and themes. Oh, yeah. I think it's just something that we're just inevitably afraid of. Yes. Which makes sense. Um, which when, might make it so that you don't love a story like that. Right. And that's exactly what happens. So anytime I think of 1984, I get the heebie-jeebies because <laughs> it just feels like it's totally something that could happen. And probably is happening in some way shape or form yeah um you have your main character who is a very unremarkable man who just kind of goes about his life um and starts to realize as he has encounters with very other various other characters that perhaps the world that he's living in may not be quite what it is um the information that he's been fed may or may not be correct um and I think that there's something to be said about that, especially in this whole pandemic situation that we're living in. Um, and I think that that's why this book came to mind when we were thinking about our least favorite classics. Um, I think that, you know, when fiction and reality start to collide and not in a good way, um, it starts to pose the question of where 
where is the line and what's right and what's not right. And so, you know, hearing a lot about propaganda, about, you know, being fed lies by the government, um, this whole narrative that's been surrounding us during the pandemic, I think that, you know, thinking back to 1984, a lot of those themes are in the novel, which is, again once again relevant today oh yeah very relevant um but i didn't like the characters i didn't like how the novel ended which was that essentially nothing changed um and that's what's so hard about this one is that you read this whole novel and at the end it doesn't matter what you do big brother is always watching you yeah it it doesn't (laughs) it's not exactly got a uh, a hopeful ending which to be fair a lot of dystopian fiction doesn't um and that's not well it's probably not the reason that i don't love dystopian fiction i think i'm just like it's it's just uh, i think i've been oversaturated by its stupid hunger games but it's just like it's not it's not for me but i do understand it's weird because i feel like this is one this is for you anyway especially Mm. I think this is the choice of a classic that is um are like objectively very good Mm. but that you personally just don't like yes and I and honestly I can't say anything against the writing because I think it was well written I think that Mm -hmm. the the imagery was amazing I think that it really painted a very bleak picture but I think my bitterness towards it comes from the fact that you can really see a lot of this happening today Um, and, you know, it just makes you wonder, um, you know, it's place in society now, probably still very prominent actually, and can continue to serve as a word of warning. Oh God. (laughs) Which is even more bleak. (laughs) Womp womp. Womp womp. So on that note, (laughs) Megan, back to you. Okay. Um, this can't be controversial. I don't believe this for a fucking minute. Um, so my next, my next choice, um, and if anybody has like read this or watched a film version of it, I don't think this should, this shouldn't be surprising to you. If you like this, I have some questions, is Lolita by Vladimir <laughs> Nabokov. Um, this book is gross. This is disgusting I had picked this up because this was one of those things I think I had seen the movie and I watched it when I was quite young so I didn't catch on to many of the the themes around like sexual grooming and um you know like abuse and things god trigger warning for anybody who's listening to this if this bothers you you might want to skip ahead but the entire novel is follows basically a book that's now being studied by a psychologist, I believe, after this man who's on trial for murder named Mm. Humbert Humbert is the pseudonym that they used for him. Uh, He's like a professor or something. He is recounting basically that from a young age um, all the way up until his death is obsessed with underage girls. Mm. And by that specifically, I think he singles out girls either 9 or 10 to 14. Mm -hmm. And this man's like in his 40s or his 50s when he dies. Mm -hmm. Ew. Um, He marries a woman solely because he becomes infatuated with her young teenage daughter named Lolita. He calls her Lolita. I believe her name's Dolores, who he's, like, obsessed with. Mm. Um, Her mom dies in an interesting way when they're because after having discovered that he he she finds his diary and she finds out that he's sexually obsessed with her daughter oh my god she leaves him but is trying to get away from him because they have an altercation runs out into the middle of the road and is hit by a car and killed 
so he is, and because he's married to this woman, he gets the daughter at that point. Uh, there is, like, drugging that happens in order to assault this girl, and then she's basically groomed into being all right with it as well. Um, it is so triggering, so incredibly disturbing, and that's coming from somebody who's never um, had any, like, had any sort of encounters like this in mm-hmm. my life. Um, it's awful. It is gross. This book winds up on lists of classics and lists of like best books ever written. And I don't fucking get it. I don't Mm. understand. It has no place. It's disgusting. This is one of those that I'm like, no, you can strip this if it's like classic status. I have, because of this, I've never read anything else that Nabokov has ever written. Um, and I don't want to. Uh, because I, you, you gotta be a bit of a dirty old pervert to come up with a story like this in the first place. This isn't mm. somebody recounting something based on experience. It's mm. just a story that mm. he decided to write about this, and it is unpleasant. And it just yeah. takes. And there's something about the book I think is easier to find gross. Mm. The film adaptations really bother me, particularly the one with Jeremy Irons from I want to say like the 80s or the 90s, mm. because you take like a handsome man and Mm. you somehow try to make this okay in a film like a handsome very talented actor yeah and you try to make this okay and it's oh yeah uh, it gives me uncomfortable chills and i just don't i don't like it and i just don't think it's any surprise at all that this would show up on the list somewhere (laughs) yeah and you know not to say that there isn't place for you know any type of art or expression of you know story like you know i think to stories like uh the perfume you know the french story yeah french classic where you know the guy goes and kills a whole bunch of people because he's trying to capture their scent oh that, to make that the one's perfect. wild and what a perfume. crazy story you know there's plenty of disgusting stories out there but i think that you know to your point do we really want these to be on like best books ever written especially with such a triggering topic like this and and it's God. such a story that could happen really like yes. it's an extreme version of something that could happen but, but it, it has happened happen. it has yeah. happened in of the course. world in different ways of course um and it's just so i just anything that any, I think, media that tries to glamorize things like this really bothers me. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't, don't think that like there's it. Place for it. No. no, there shouldn't be any place for it. It shouldn't. It's not something that should be. It's not something that should be lauded. I don't care how well written you think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, the subject matter needs to be well written yeah. as well. There's, there's something about that. Oh God, I hate it. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, so let's go on to our uh, joint. Yeah, we've arrived at our last one that we're going to talk about, and this is going to be, can I just, I'm going to preface, this is our opinion, people. This is what we think is not a good classic. We do not enjoy these. We do not love them. It is what it is. Something can be considered the best book in the world, but art is subjective. And sometimes you will just not like something that everybody else seems to like, and you're like, that's weird. Why? We're going to talk about it because (laughs) I'm making excuses for it, but we're going to talk about it because it's true because it's Pride and Prejudice. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Sorry. The uh, book that has been written and rewritten and adapted and readapted and readapted. There's even a version with zombies. How many times have... Like, how many lists have you read of, like, oh, great, classic novels where Pride and Prejudice is number one or number two on the list? But there's always 
it's always there. And, you know, Austin wrote a lot of books, a lot of stories. Yeah. Pride and Prejudice is always number one. Yeah. And everybody loves Mr. Darcy. And and you're like, Fucking but he's why? a total piece of shit. Yeah, I know. He's the worst. And, like, I don't know how she gets this status of being a feminist writer. And I think we alluded to this in our, our previous episode yeah. um, where we kind of discussed our um, <laughs> non-love of Jane Austen. But, yeah. Um, I just think that there's so much out there in terms of classics, in terms of modern classics, books in general. I don't know why we keep coming back to this on lists of books. It's lazy. It's, I mean, <laughs> we're doing it, so I suppose we're lazy too, but I mean, yeah. we're looking at it from a point of view of that a lot of why. People, that a lot of people just don't agree with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only reason, I think the only reason it's ever stamped with, like, the feminist sort of novel is probably because of Elizabeth Bennet mm. and her character, you know, not being willing to back down, but it's just her showing, like, slight willfulness which yeah would have been irregular for the times I suppose but she also has romantic encounters with what not one but two men throughout the course of the book as well Mm -hmm. um and every every interaction that occurs throughout the course of the story all has to do with romance in some way for herself for her sisters finding a husband blah 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 and yeah fine whatever okay yes this would have been what women were expected to do at the time but that's the case if that's the case then that's fine it's a romance novel of the times times. don't try to stamp it with like your feminist yes stamp and be like oh it's a totally feminist story it's absolutely not it's not and you know just because she's slightly outspoken and seems a little bit crass um that's what makes her to your point you know a feminist icon but I disagree wholeheartedly um I don't think that there's much substance to the story she's just trying to get married she's trying to get her sister married like it everybody is everyone's end game is to be married and it just makes you wonder the whole time like you know are you even happy at the end of this or is it just like a trophy that you obtained you know yeah i don't know like you locked down the most difficult one of the lot i suppose (laughs) way to go um but yeah no that's it i don't think we should celebrate um a man who's like so incredibly off-putting from the beginning like if you were to meet a guy like that now you'd be like ugh, fuck him and then you would just never speak to him again (laughs) it's true um so i suppose we're hating on pride and prejudice because we don't feel like it should be on you know favorite lists anymore i just don't feel like it should be as well regarded as it is it's unnecessary there's so much out there yeah there's so many other novels out there that classics as well um that could have more place but here we are once again with pride and prejudice so (laughs) it's our least favorite sorry guys and i think it's just because i think it becomes the least favorite because of how well Regarded. regarded it is mm-hmm. um by like nearly everybody or feels like nearly everyone at least what the what publications and the internet would like us to believe is yeah. just it's pride and prejudice if you're gonna pick one you gotta pick that one just no thank you i'm good yeah um exactly yeah um okay <laughs> we're gonna do we're gonna do a couple of honorable mentions okay. or dishonorable mentions if you're gonna mention the one that i think you are i don't think that we're gonna have time to get through any others because i have a bone to pick no i'm not it's fine it's not at the top of the list 
list if I don't like it, but it's not at the top of my list. It's Catcher in the Rye, in case anybody's wondering. I can't believe she hates the Catcher in the Rye. I just don't like Holden Caulfield. Oh so we're going we're gonna to leave it at that because we're going to have a conversation that's going to last two and a half hours, but we're not doing it. It's fine. So now we're just going to we're gonna talk about some dishonorable mentions, a few others that we just we, we just don't love them for one reason or another. Are you thinking of one? I am. <laughs> <laughs> I really was relying on you to launch into the catcher in the riot. I thought we were going to have a whole humdinger. <laughs> we still need you to have some too. Okay, okay. Hang on, hang on. <laughs> but I'd text you a few. <laughs> what? I thought I'd text you a list. We did, but it's like hang lost on, in my it? things now. Oh, yes. I had the Merchant of Venice. Uh, dishonorable mention number one. Okay. The Merchant of Venice. Um, I think it's pointlessly racist, and I think it follows a very similar flow to a lot of other uh, Shakespeare plays. Yeah, yeah. Hater's gonna hate. Yes, it's it's interesting in its own way, and there's an interesting, like court case at the end yeah but i you know i don't think that there's a need for you know the whole i mean the whole thing is just like the bad guy is the bad guy because he's a money lender and he's only a money lender because he's a jew yeah like it's like whoa um so you know obviously take it with a grain of salt it was written when it was written but i don't love it and i think it gets a lot of attention when there are other amazing Shakespeare plays out there that we don't hear as much of. Yeah, that should definitely be, I guess, better regarded. I don't know. There's mm-hmm. just something about it. Ironically, one of mine also has to do with anti-Semitism and being the only reason I don't like it is Oliver Twist by Charles oh, Dickens yeah. because mm-hmm. Fagin's character mm-hmm. is vilified. Yeah, he's awful, but he could be awful without being Jewish. That mm-hmm. has nothing to do with it. I don't understand what the need is for that. And it's just they harp on it a lot. Yeah. Um I'm not a I'm not a huge Dickens fan to begin no. with. So I think that's another part of my problem. I don't get incredibly into a lot of his stuff. I can't. Like I'm not a huge fan of like a tale of two cities and things like that. I don't think and I've ever read any of his novels through. There I you can't go. get into yeah, them. That's I just it. can't. So sometimes it's just it's just that as well. It's just like a personal preference, I guess. But this one, yeah, this one bothers me much because of that and I feel like it's something that's almost never spoken about probably now more Mm. but before it was just like oh Fagin's awful and you're like but but does he have to be awful because Mm. he's Jewish because that feels unnecessary to me totally agree yeah totally agree um and my last one um for all my theater kids out there is a streetcar named desire Um, now, can I just preface, I really, I enjoy quite a few of Tennessee Williams' plays. Um, The Glass Menagerie is really good. Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, Mm. I really enjoy. Um, God, there's a few others as well. I think Summer and Smoke, which is like a slightly less well-known one, but I like it. And those are ones that I really enjoy. But Streetcar Named Desire is always the first one that pops up when people talk about Tennessee Tennessee Williams. And God, the characters are just awful. It's just, again, I don't like anyone. Mm. I kind of like Stella. Mm. She's okay. Mm. But like Blanche is God, mm. oh God, just get this woman a fainting couch and leave her alone. She's, <laughs> I know she's having like an emotional breakdown, but I feel no sympathy about it. Yeah. Because she's a spoiled rich girl who's just going through emotional turmoil. Just, just like you feel about Holden Caulfield. Yes. Ugh. And... <laughs> And then, you know, you bring Stanley in, who I guess that's it is sort of, I think I blame Marlon Brando because he's just like the manly man type, but you're like, 
oh, there's just like an assault that occurs and he's abusive. He hits his pregnant wife a couple of times and just, oh God, just don't, basically for me what it is is don't come to me and tell me that it's like romantic in any way, shape or form. Mm. It's not. It is not. I do not like it. So that's it. There you have it. Those are our least favorite classics the ones that we don't love that we don't really think it's necessary for people to read um but yeah i'm always curious to know this we want to know what you guys think about uh these classics in general do you like some of them do you not like do you like bride and prejudice probably yeah. do you not like some of them do you agree do you disagree like what are your thoughts if on you it like so the you can in the right hit me up yeah yeah <laughs> uh you can let us know um over on instagram at fully booked ca and in our facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash book was way better and you can continue to take a look at everything else we've got going on for classics and for every other month over at fully-booked.ca but until next time guys keep on reading